Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Ray Rothrock. Ray, welcome to today's show. Thank you, Alan. Good to be here. So, Ray, um, you recently released a new book called Digital Resilience. And I know that you've been serving for a period of years as the CEO of a, a cybersecurity company, uh, Red Seal. Correct. Uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for the book and and uh, why, you, why you brought it out. Sure. You know... Um, it really goes sort of to the entrepreneurial venture capital background that I have. I it was a VC for 25 years. I'd done a lot of cyber deals. And I went to, uh, I retired from Venrock and then I joined Red Seal as a CEO to help deal with some situations the company was having. And then this thing called Target happened, a massive attack. And uh, Target is like a Fortune 50 company. They had the best technology, have engineers, budget. What it, why did this happen? And then we had a few more. We had Sony, we had JP Morgan, Home Depot, Office of Personnel Management, the US government. Anyway, these things started happening and all good VCs have good pattern recognition. And I saw a pattern that is people with budget, technology and people were getting hacked and getting hacked badly. So it made me pause and ask the question, what's going on? And the conclusion was that the hackers were in. They're inside our networks. I don't care how good your network is, I guarantee you it's inside. So if it's inside, how do you deal with that? A better firewall won't deal with that. Better intrusion detection won't deal with that. Better AV won't deal with that. You need to have the capability to respond to that to that hack, to that malware that's in your network. And if you think about, and here's the, here's the connection to resilience, the, the concept of resilience means the ability to respond to stop an impairment of an operation. If you look in the dictionary, that's basically what it is. So Red Seal's technology, I saw an opportunity to move that platform towards a resilience capability. That is giving people that operate Red Seal on their network the ability to respond to the attack because it is coming because the malware is already there. When you, uh, when you put the book together, um, and, and clearly the, the industry has seen, people who use the computers are aware of be careful what you click on. Uh, but when you when you wrote this book, um, how did you how did you go about uh, defining who your your readers would be and your audience? Sure, you know, um, I, I have been on uh, a lot of boards, uh, about seventy private boards, uh, eight public boards over my career, and uh, one of the things that I found missing or not missing, but sort of the cyber had always been relegated to sort of the technical end of business. Maybe there was a CIO or a CISO, chief information security officer at a company. That person didn't have a seat at the table in the boardroom. And honestly, cyber was dealt with quite effectively with firewalls and all that sort of stuff. But in this current era, and I call it sort of the third era of cyber, uh, it's now in, and the boards who are allocating resources, allocating engineers, coming up with policies to deal with this, don't have a vocabulary to talk about it. So this book is intended for management and boards that don't have technical backgrounds. There's one chapter in there that sort of talks about how all this stuff's put together and is laymanly uh, words that I could come up with, but mostly it's about how to think about how interconnected we are, you as a manager, what is your responsibility? What does it mean to be, what does it mean for you and I to have an, an electronic connection? And how do I manage that? And then coming up with this concept of a score, 
One of the things that cyber did not have, my whole career as a VC, nobody ever gave me a number that said, oh, your cyber is an A or a B or a 95 or a 12 or whatever it is. So we created a score. And now there are two dozen companies with scores because in the boardroom, the language the boards know is numbers. You know, are the profits going up or are the profits going down? Am I investing $10 million or am I not investing $10 million? What's the ROI? What's the, what's the quantitative element of resilience? So we've applied that thinking. It's all for the management and people who are making decisions, hiring the people and spending the money. Using the, the, the term resilience, um, how does that differ from digital defense? Yeah, security. Well, resilience means being prepared for the unexpected. Uh, we're in a very uh, disruptive world and you need to be able to respond to a disruptive world. Defense means I know what my enemy looks like. I know how they're going to get me. Think about a castle and a moat, right? Those are built because people attacked with on horseback, right? Uh, we've spent, the United States has spent gobs of money on missile defense systems because we think the inbound that's going to get us is a missile. But what if you don't know what it is? How do you think about that? What do you do? That's where resilience comes in. It's being prepared for the unexpected. To do that, you have to think about what could go wrong, what will go wrong, and then if I missed it, how can I adjust quickly? And that requires data and information so that people can make real-time decisions. I'm visiting here today with Ray Rothrock. Ray, I need to take a break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Grandpa, can we do chemistry? Papa, We'll help you stay organized so you can focus on what really matters in life. Give us a call today and see how we can help you start saving taxes. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Ray Rothrock. And Ray, in the first segment, we we talked about your inspiration for the new book, Digital Resilience, and then difference between resilience and defense. Um I want to move into the, the common misconceptions in board members regarding cybersecurity. That's a that's a very interesting topic because uh, board members uh, they only know what they're told, okay, uh, for starters, and they're not told much about cybersecurity because it was never an issue. But now it's an issue, right? When the asset, when the intellectual assets of the company can leave the premise and not know about it, it is now a boardroom issue, and so a lot of misconceptions that they have is that, well, we'll just spend another $2 million, another 10 or another $100 million and hire another bunch of engineers and we'll just make the fortress 50 feet taller or something. Uh, Janet Napolitano made the comment, says if you build a 50 foot wall, someone will come up with a 51 foot ladder. That's the way boards think. They'll just make it the moat deeper and wider and the wall taller. And that's just flat wrong because digital is different, right? It's, it's hidden, it's, 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 it gets in through all kinds of ways, and that is what it is. So the misconception is that we can just spend our way to solve this problem. I contend you need to think your way through it because spending, when you spend a dollar on cyber defense or cybersecurity or cyber resilience in your company, you're not spending it on R&D for your products or for your customers. And I think in time, I call it a tax. There's a cyber tax going on in our economy. And that's the misconception board. They think they can spend. Cyber grows at 10 to 12% a year of the budget. IT budget's one to 3%. How long can we spend 10 to 12% a year on cyber and not 
take a dent in companies' earnings. What are some of the commonly overlooked areas of how how the uh, cyber you know that the hackers get inside yeah. systems? Well, you know, uh, in the old day, how do they get in? So in the old days, uh, they try to get in through the front door. Uh, a lot of them uh, come in through web browsers, but the Verizon puts out a report every year. In fact, it's just coming out now, or it's out this week. Um, they show that most of 95% of the successful hacks start with a simple phishing attack and sometimes a spear phishing attack. And phishing is a very, phishing is old spy crap. Benjamin Franklin employed phishing. That is to get you to do, make, send you a credible piece of information to get you to take an action on that information. And so if I send you an email, it's coming right through the front door. It's totally legitimate, looks perfectly normal. You click on the, on the attachment or whatever, or hit a reply button and all of a sudden, you've released the malware in your network. So how does it get in? It walks right through the front door looking like a perfectly legitimate thing. That's how it gets in. Is it, I guess you're stating the obvious. And, <laughs> yeah. and over time, the, the, the person le- learns their lesson not to click on. Yeah. Well, uh, there, you know, there was a time not too many years ago when people would train their employees against phishing. And if you, the same people fail that test. And so finally now companies are putting policies in their employee manuals. If you fail three times in a row, you can be dismissed. That's a new concept. Think about that. If you fail your cyber training, you can lose your job. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So what are some of the misconceptions about cyber crime? Well, you know, this is an evolving subject. Uh, Cyber in the early days was truly high school guys sort of hacking around just to see if they – Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak are some of the most famous, right, making phone calls by – whistling tones into a, a telephone. Uh, and, but it's gotten very sophisticated. I've seen numbers that say there are about 100,000 cyber mafia criminals out there. Certainly, it's all about stealing information that therefore you can then resell that information to other people creating uh, in the black market to create credit cards and stuff. It's about getting information. There was Lately, there's been a few high-powered um, uh, wiring transaction things. Remember the, I think it was Singapore or Malaysia lost $89 million on a very secure system. They wired money. So that's not the company. The company is just simply taking your information, packaging it and reselling it. Um, and that's very common. The Equifax break in, you know, 147 million records. Uh, we'll see. The, the the nation states, That's that's another whole conversation we could have another show about if you want. Very good. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, I guess, that, that this whole area of cyber security and uh, really spans across a vast horizon. Uh, Japan recently had a the the, the Bitcoin. Um, I yeah. think it was uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. And no. At uh, any time, it's cyber. Right. If it means a human being created something, it means a hum- other another human being can crack it, and it is a risk. But uh, you know. Back in the 30s and 40s in the United States, banks are getting robbed all the time. Bon- think Bonnie and Clyde, right? Uh, we solve that problem, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Do banks still get robbed today at gunpoint? They do indeed. But they don't bring down the entire banking system like they did in the 30s and 40s. So we'll figure this out, but it's not going to get better before it gets worse. I'm visiting here today with Ray Rothrock. He's author of the book Digital Resilience. And Ray, I need to take another break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Thank you.
since you can't take your wealth with you, spend time with your family. Welcome back. I'm busy here today with Ray Rothrock. He's author of the book, Digital Resilience. And Ray, um, the first segment we talked about the inspiration for the book, and then we moved over to the, uh, you know, the common entry points for hackers. Um, This segment, I want to focus in on the, uh, the principles of resilience found in both natural and physical systems. Sure. Well, resilience is a uh, pretty common thing in modern society, um, and uh, I could. I'm gonna, let me step back. Um, in in biology, uh, people have studied biology, biological systems for a lot. In fact, there's a whole category of investment area called biomimicry, where you try to mimic things that we know that work. For example, Velcro is a mimic of a biological of, of of I forget the gecko or something like that. So that's very common. And if you think about a human body how resilient it is. We have a skin, which is like a firewall. We have white blood cells, which are like intrusion detection systems. We have red blood cells, which are like data leak preventers, things like you know clotting capability. So if we think about a system, an effective system that can, can respond to an attack, whether it's a disease or if I poke a nail in my hand, the body's pretty darn good. In the real world, we've done exactly the same thing. For example, the building we're presently in has sprinkler systems. It probably has some heat detection systems. It has a burglar system. It has all these systems to, to alert us if something goes wrong in this building. Do we expect this building to burn down? No. You walked in this morning. I walked in a while ago. Felt perfectly safe. The elevator operated because we know it's been built with resilience in mind. That's a confidence building thing. So resilience can translate to confidence. And if you're running a business, you need to, you know, look, look at a factory. You burn a factory to the ground, you lose the ability to make your widget, you rebuild the factory. What if your digital factory burns to the ground? What do you do? It's a different question. So resilience is about that, thinking about the system, what mimicking real world physical systems and applying them in the digital universe. You know, the the rate of change in technology (laughs) is so rapid. It's a you know, you, you it's like a, a river flowing. You can't stay put or you get run over. Uh, yes. And so it's it, it, the markets are continually evolving. I throw out the question, is technology really making our lives better? <laughs> well, uh, yes, I think it yeah. is by a lot. Uh, and there's a ton of data on this. That's a common question, by the way. And, of course, at, while it's making it better, it's also threatening others, right? I mean, you think about factories, you think about 100 years ago, a factory, what it looked like and who worked there and the conditions. Look, people are living longer. They have uh, more capability in terms of what they can do with their lives. They can communicate around the world has shrunk. You remember uh, uh, Friedman's The Flat Earth uh, or The Flat World? I forget what the book was. The World is Flat. Yeah. It was good. The World mm-hmm. is Flat. Yeah, it was really good. So, uh, we are living higher quality lives, better lives. Even the low end of the population on the planet is living a better life, but there's still a lot of poor people. So technology really is helping us be better, I believe. So you, the book goes through a number of case studies. Uh, you mentioned Target uh, for, yep. you know, on cybersecurity. What are some of the other case studies that you use in the book? Well, the, the the really classy one, uh, the most recent one is the, you know, John Podesta fell for the classic fishing story. And what did that lead to? Um, 
So fishing, I mean, that's such a high profile story. Uh, uh, it just, it just, you know, is it embarrassing for him? Is it embarrassing for the Democratic, uh, Democrat uh, uh, DNC? And uh, it just points out how bad it is. There's, um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of some. Tell me one to focus on. How about uh, uh, public uh, public Wi-Fi and the risk with that? Um, uh, I've been in meetings where people come from a hotel. They show up, they open their computer, they're on the local network here, and they brought with them the malware that the public Wi-Fi gave them. Uh, that's like my number one concern, airplanes and public Wi-Fi, because you're not secure. When, um, when people are in public places and they get that message, uh, is it okay to proceed because it's in a public domain? Any advice whether they should say yes or no, and and how do they protect themselves? So. Well, the public Wi—it's very hard. Public Wi-Fi, uh, you know, it takes time. This just because you say yes doesn't mean in the next second you're getting attacked. But if you took a raw, a, a brand new PC and opened it up without turning on any of its security, usually they don't come that way. But so it's 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 naked. We call it, and you put it on a public Wi-Fi, it will be attacked within 30, 40 minutes. The computer will be rendered helpless. Wow. That's, that's just what happens. So when you go on, one of the things I do personally is I VPN back to a known good place, VPN, virtual public, uh, virtual private network. It's simple. I've got software. I click a button on LinkedIn, and I know where I'm talking to is safe, and it's behind firewalls. That's one thing you do. The other thing is to use your phone. So the, the public telephone networks are really quite good, and these devices are especially good. So actually, rather than using whatever the public Wi-Fi is, use your telephone as a hotspot and let it send your data. That's another thing you can do. Excellent. So when we look at companies, though, uh, becoming more resilient, how do you recommend that they approach Internet infrastructure? You know, uh, infrastructure is a broad word, uh, but it starts with knowing what you have. Um, networks have been built for 30 years by many people for many different reasons and documentation is poor at best certainly it's dated and so the first thing about infrastructure you got to think about what is the point of a particular enclave what is the purpose of that that starts with a management decision we're going to build a factory we're going to build a an e-trading system we're going to build a this or that and you got to think about what that's all about and then you think about what can go wrong you got to think about who has access and who doesn't have access so you can start there. Unfortunately, we inherited all the systems and networks that we have. So they're pretty raw and rough and messy. So the first thing you got to do is analyze it. And that's one thing that my company does, Red Seal. We analyze the total infrastructure, every pathway from every device in the network. And with that, you start there, you can begin to tease it apart and see where the problems are. Let's go a little bit deeper into Red Seal. And um, and, and when we look at their evaluation of the network resilience and obviously they're uh, in this in this area of cybersecurity there's a lot of people vying for space <laughs> how do you differentiate right. your business model from the competition oh boy that's a good one um, yes red seal does what we call network modeling we actually create a software model of every pathway in your network then we overlay any vulnerability assessments you've done from other products like Rapid7 or Tenable or any of those other guys. And so we take the model, we overlay the vulnerability, and we do a calculation that says if this asset, this 
this endpoint asset is an important asset to you, I will tell you where that ranks in your vulnerability score. It's a very complicated, dense calculation that can take hours for a large network. So uh, we came up with this concept of digital resilience. And digital resilience, can, and we, we, didn't, we didn't make that, con we didn't make it up per se. Uh, there's lots of standards bodies have said, these are the top 10 things you need to do. And we went and glummed it all together. And we said, there are three things you need to know. The you need to know every pathway, point one. You need to know all the vulnerabilities, point two. And you need to know the state of your equipment. Because you have a router or an endpoint, is it at the latest patch? You know, every vendor tells you if, if we put out a, a if we put out a patch, patch, get it done because that improves your security. That's generally true. Some things can't be improved, so you have to think about your anyway. Those three things: vulnerability, model, is the model good? I'll tell you a, a side story. In every deal we work on, every company's network we work on, we find assets that they didn't know existed. We've actually found data centers that were walled off in a remodel. The, 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 the servers were hot, the uh, lights were on, and traffic was going back and forth, but they didn't even know it. This happens all the time, assets that are not found. So how good is that model? All the imperfections, we discover all that, and that's what'll get you. A new CISO, the first question on the job is, show me my network. It's very hard to do. So Ray, your, your book will be available on uh, Amazon or? And Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, First week of first or second week of April, uh, and you know, in other places, um, it's getting getting ready to start a roadshow tour next week. Been visiting here today with Ray Rothrock. He's the author of the book Digital Resilience, and you can find his book out there on the web. Right. And I appreciate you being on today's show. Thank you very much, Alan. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. Um, over the break, Ray and I were we're talking about. Uh, you know the the common insurance that that boards will often look at, and uh, and and I I asked Ray if he could just hold over here and we can talk about should boards be considering insurance for the companies um, in the area of cybersecurity. That's a, a, a an important question and one that every board asks. Uh, in fact, when they read about their competition or their buddy uh, at another company who uh, had a cyber event, the first question they ask their board is, "Are we insured?" So cyber insurance is a new area. It's growing very rapidly. In fact, uh, every week there's an announcement of a new startup. So a board has a choice. They can engineer the risk away. They can ignore the risk and just accept the consequences, or they can insure against it. As I said uh, earlier, a factory burns to the ground, you rebuild the factory. But if your digital assets burn to the ground, I'm not sure you can recover the trust that goes on there. So it's really a different story. Cyber insurance is different than uh, physical plant insurance or DNO insurance or those kinds of things. So in your physical, in your cyber world, there's the inside of your network, which the infrastructure that you own and control, and there's the outside. Think about life insurance. When you go to get life insurance, they'll send a nurse out to check your blood pressure, your blood type, get take down your record of your diseases and all that sort of stuff. That's your inside story. They'll also look at what neighborhood you live in. What's your zip code? What kind of car do you drive? What do your neighbors look like? Um, we used to, at, at Venrock, we used to always drive by the CEO's house to see what kind of neighborhood they lived in. It sort of said something about them. So there's an outside-in story. There are scores of companies giving you an outside-in look at cyber. Who's attacking your firewall? Where's that IP coming from? Is it coming from an adversary? Is it coming from a competitor? Is it espionage? What is it? That's a very big deal. WannaCry, are you getting a WannaCry attack? Well, that's interesting. 
Uh, but, you know, I know that the flu's out there. I know the cold's out there. So what do I do about myself? Well, I drink more orange juice, take vitamins, whatever. Well, I can do the same thing cyber-wise. So there's an inside-out story and there's an outside-in story. I think the one that matters most is the inside-out story. Am I healthy? Is my blood pressure good? You know, am I taking the right vitamins? That's the analysis and the analytics that are necessary to do cyber insurance right. And there's some great stories in American history. The Hartford Steam Boiler is a good one where they insured steam boilers. You ever heard of the term boilerplate? That came from Hartford Steam Boiler. They said, we'll insure your steam boiler in that uh, ferry boat that in 1850 uh, or 1860. However, you got to let us engineer it and let us maintain it and let us management. I think that's a future opportunity for cyber. Let someone else verify. Let someone else manage. Let someone you're the company. You worry about what you do best and let the cyber guys do what they do best. Yeah, it's interesting. And and you then you get the outside perspective before a person puts their money exactly. into the uh, Right. Yeah, would you ever buy a house without an inspection on the house? Of course you wouldn't. You should likewise. Cyber is a whole it's a whole category of assets. You should have it inspected and checked before you buy something. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. We visit here today with Ray Rothrock, uh, the author of the book Digital Resilience. You can find it on Amazon or any uh, on yeah, Barnes the Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, right? right. And, uh, and and we appreciate you being with us today on American Dreams. Uh, join us right here on this station next week. Have a good week. <laughs>